Luke 2, 8 through 20, the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Thanks, Kristen. Man, that was really good. Like, now I'm particularly excited to preach this passage. You guys thankful for these folks that do our scripture readings and come up and stand in front of everybody? That's awesome. I just, I literally got excited to preach. I mean, I'm always excited to preach, but I got more excited to preach. Uh, If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad to have you. Uh, Welcome, even as we sending off a couple of former staff members and you're new, well, welcome in. That's kind of what it's like living in an area like Seattle. People kind of coming and going, but one thing that we're convinced of as a church that never changes is the Word of God. And so we like to turn our attention to the Scriptures each week, and we've been doing a series called Witnesses of the Advent, where we're looking each week at these different groups of people, uh, the prophets who looked at the coming of the Messiah before he was born, the angels, in particular Gabriel last week, who announced the good news, and this week the angels get to hand off to the shepherds. And so we're going to consider the perspective of the shepherds here uh, as we turn our attention to God's word in Luke chapter 2. Before we do that, though, would you pray with me? God, I ask that you would send your spirit right now uh, to be present with us in a special and a unique way. God, I ask that you would help us to have our hearts uh, open to what it is you want to show us and what you want to teach us. God, for myself, I pray that you would guard my lips. I, I only want to say that which is truthful and, and helpful to build us up in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Jesus, that you would get all of the glory, all of the attention of our time here today. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, I got a couple of questions I want to start with, and I need your help. Uh, how many of you have ever had an experience where you met somebody famous? Raise your hands, okay? So, all right, you're right in the front. Brian, who'd, who'd you meet? Bill Gates. Who's that? No, I'm just kidding. How long ago was that? It was 1998. I was living in Wallingford and walked up to Dick just, on 45th. Just walked up for a cheeseburger, for a 58 cent. He invented windows and he's getting a 48 cent cheeseburger at Dick's. Was he nice? Okay, good. Who else? Who else met somebody? All right, Gracie, who'd you meet? Warped Tour. Ah, the good old days of the Warped Tour. They canceled that now. You know that? It's very sad. Ah. Who else? Who else met somebody famous? All right. Who's, oh, that Ashley. Who's Tim McGraw? Who? What? Before security got to you? Or uh, 
Just Okay, that's good. That's good. Tim McGraw. Who else? Who else? Yeah, Hector, who'd you meet? Oh, you're fine. <laughs> Martha Quinn. I actually don't know who that is. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, who's your favorite, the singer of that band that you're, you have to work with on occasion these days, Hector? Who, who's that? <laughs> Perry from, uh, what's the band called? Perry Farrell from, uh, from uh, Jane's, Jane's Addiction. Addiction, yeah. Uh, ask Hector about it afterwards. He's not a fan of that. Yeah, Delaney, who did you meet that's famous? Uh, Hugh, Jackman. Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine? No, but you didn't meet Hugh Jackman. You, that would have been surprising if you just now told me in the middle of the sermon, my daughter <laughs> met Hugh Jackman. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> so for those of you who met somebody famous, uh, uh, you know, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a cool experience, right? You, you kind of can't wait to get back to work or whatever to tell your friends or people that you met. So I, I'll share one with you. I was thinking about it this last week with the passing of uh, President George H.W. Bush, and there was the memorial service and all the kind of pomp and circumstance that goes along with that. I flash back to a time about, om- about four years ago, no, three years ago, when I met President George W. Bush. And uh, so I'll t- briefly tell you how this happened. I used to be a music teacher and I worked at a recording studio and I recorded with a country singer who is also a, a U.S. Army vet. And we've kept in touch over the years. This, we started maybe 12 years ago. And he one day just called me up and says, hey, can, can you put the picture off? I'm tired of seeing my face on the screen. Can, thank you. Uh, he called me up and he said, hey, um, <clears throat> there's this uh, fundraiser dinner um, and it's at President Bush's library and he wants me and some of my other like military veteran friends to sing and perform, and we need a guitar player. Would you want to play guitar? And uh, this was in 2015. Sound City Bible Church wasn't even a year old. I talked with the other elders. I'm like, this is kind of weird, but can I have a few days off to go perform for a former president of the United States? And they're like, are you lying to us? Have you lost your mind? I said, no, I want to I do this. And so I went, we performed. I had a, you know, 25 long second conversation with former President Bush, got to meet First Lady Laura Bush. They were very personable and very kind. And then do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? Changed in my life? Nothing. Absolutely nothing changed. I took a red-eye flight home in a middle seat. I got home and my wife said, hey, thanks. I'm glad you're here. I haven't taken the trash out since you've been gone. So could you do that? And I was like, yeah. And then also you haven't changed diapers in a few days. Hadley was still in diapers at the time. So can you do that? So I still changed diapers. I still took the trash out and went back to my just relatively boring life. Isn't that true for, for all of us, right? Like this idea of like meeting a celebrity. We think something really cool is going to come of it or something really exciting is going to happen. But really at the end of the day, it doesn't really elevate us or change our lives all that much. You guys with me? Now, I want to go to the other side. I'm not going to ask for specific examples, but I want to ask you on the opposite side, can you think of a time when someone was really disrespectful towards you? Can you think of a time, instead of being elevated and lifted up into something important, hanging with somebody famous where you got passed over or overlooked or what you said got dismissed, and then all of a sudden, instead of feeling really important, you felt really low? Quick show of hands. How many of you can think of a time when something like that happened? Okay. We don't like that feeling, right? We we like the feeling of being elevated. We want to be up. We want to be higher. We want to be important. We don't like to be dismissed or pushed down or stepped upon or disrespected. But I want to tell you something today. Something that might feel kind of counterintuitive to, well, I think all of us. 
where we're going to meet with God is in that place of lowliness. Where everything in our hearts wants to be lifted up and elevated and important and and looked at as somebody important and prominent. What God says, he says, if you want to be with me, you got to go lower. No, not that low, lower, even lower. So we're looking at the shepherds. The shepherds are in a place of lowliness. Can you, I mean, just think about this. Shepherds, right? What does a shepherd do? They take care of sheep. What are sheep? Animals. Are sheep intelligent animals or dumb animals? Are, 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 are sheep like clean, delightful animals or stinky, smelly farm animals, right? Don't let the cute, fluffy, you know, like kids clothing type of sheep fool you. They are rotten. You've been to the state fair, Right? And so it's kind of like one of these jobs where it's, it's necessary. There is a certain respectability to it, but it's lowly. It's not looked at. It's not being a king. It's not being a ruler. It's not being an, an emissary or an envoy. It's, it's not something that you know, people would aspire to. It's just something you kind of did. And yet it's to these lowly shepherds that this host of angels shows up and delivers the biggest, most important news in the history of the world. You know, when you look throughout the Bible, God has this, this thing with shepherds. God has this thing where he, he likes to meet with shepherds and he likes to raise them up. It actually starts with the patriarch of Israel, Abraham. You guys know about Abraham? Abraham was a nomad, a wanderer. He didn't even have a hometown. God was giving him the promised land, but for much of his life, he wandered, raising sheep, raising flocks. And God blessed them and, and prospered them and their flocks flourished. He handed them off to Isaac. The, the grandson, Jacob, actually ran away from home. That's a different story because his brother wanted to kill him. He ended up with a job, at, guess what? Shepherd with his uncle. And it said that his flocks flourished. You can read about that all in, in the book of Genesis. You guys know a guy named Moses? You heard of Moses? Remember Moses, he started out, he was, he was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. So he was raised in the, in the palaces of Egypt and he had all of the, the money and the wealth and the comforts and everything that you could ever want. But then after a, an altercation where he killed an Egyptian soldier because that soldier was beating one of his fellow Hebrews, he had to flee to the wilderness of Midian. He met a guy named Jethro and Jethro gave him two very important things. A wife, gave him one of his daughters to marry and a job doing what? shepherding. He, it actually says that he was out working. He was taking care of the sheep when God spoke to him through that burning tree. And that's what the Psalms tell us, that God led his people through Moses like a shepherd in Psalm 77. One more, you know King David? I love King David. That's, if you see my, my big tattoo here is a King David tattoo. King David the greatest king that Israel had ever known. He's the one that's like the prototype for all the good kings. He's the anointed one. He's the, the first, you could say the first Messiah, the one who was anointed by God to be the king. Do you know what he was doing before he was king? He was a shepherd. Samuel, the prophet, gets this message from God. Oh, the next king is going to come from Jesse's family. He goes out to Jesse's house, knocks on the door. Jesse, hey, I, God told me that one of your sons is going to be king. Can you bring them all out? One after another, after another comes out. Like, no, not him. No, he's, he's good looking, but no, not him. Oh, he's strong. He's a soldier. No, not him, not him, not him. They get done and, and Samuel goes, well, what the heck? Do you, have any other, do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, well, I mean, there's David, <laughs> but he's out with the sheep, right? Like the youngest brother, you know what they say, the Sheep flows downhill, and so you get the youngest brother has to, (laughs) 
I'll fix that for the next show. But you know, so he's out taking care of the sheep and, 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 and it's not like he's held in any sort of high esteem at all. God elevates him to be the king of Israel. In fact, he gets interrupted from shepherding to go take his brother's food and that's when this whole conflict with Goliath happens and you know, the rest is history. Problem is, as you go through the, the history of Israel, you start to see, man, there's just a lot of bad leaders, a lot of bad shepherds, one after another after another. In fact, there's a, there's a chapter in Ezekiel 34, and uh, I'm not going to read it to you, but let me just say, there's not a lot of verses in Ezekiel 34 that end up on mouse pads or coffee mugs, okay? Uh, it's, it's a sharp critique. Woe to you, wicked shepherds of Israel. You fatten yourselves up. You take advantage of the sheep. You don't love them. You don't serve them. You don't protect them. You take advantage of them. And there's all these woe to you's pronounced on the bad shepherds of Israel. So over these years leading up to the time of the birth of Jesus, it's not, you know, shepherding is not held in high esteem. Let me give you two other examples. You guys heard of, uh, of a philosopher named Aristotle? This is a few hundred years before Jesus was born. This is a Greek author, not a Hebrew author and not a Hebrew thinker, but he has this quote talking about different people's professions. He says, the laziest ones are shepherds who lead an idle life and they get their subsistence without trouble from tame animals. Is this a good opinion of shepherds or a lowly opinion of shepherds? Lowly, right? They just go from place to place looking for pasture. They kind of compelled to follow these dumb sheep around. They have like a, like a living farm. What about the Jewish people? Well, there's a collection of writings called the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud. This is from a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus in a book called the Sanhedrin. And there's this ruling about these shepherds, particularly the shepherds who let their animals go into other people's fields and eat. Apparently this was a real problem. If you're a shepherd, they, they thought maybe it was accidentally and they did some investigation. No, these shepherds are doing it on purpose. They just let their sheep wander anywhere else and they should be considered like robbers. When the leaders realized that they would intentionally send the animals to the fields of others from the outset, the sages issued a decree that they are, listen to this, disqualified from bearing witness. So shepherds would not have been allowed to testify in court because they were looked at as thieves and robbers and untrustworthy. Luke chapter two, verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds. This royal announcement is now coming to lowly, looked down upon, not held in high regard, shepherds. They were there keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I don't know exactly how it works, but those of you who work, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a field where somebody has to work the graveyard shift, who gets the graveyard shift? Yeah, you can say it. Like the low person on the totem pole, right? If you, uh, if you work in, I don't know, medical field. Anybody here like a nurse or work in the, work in the medical field or something like that? Do the, do the people who are like the longest lasting and the highest up on the totem, do they get the night graveyard shift? So I don't know exactly how this works. Maybe, maybe they're working the graveyard shift because it was only them and they worked every shift. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Okay, remember last week we said that when angels appear, you know, 99 times out of 100, they just look like people. Not this time. The glory of the Lord 
shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Does anyone know how it says it in the King James slash in Charlie Brown Christmas? They were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. How much joy, Sound City? Great joy, abundant, exceeding. That will be for which people, Sound City? All the people. That this good news is not just for people with one skin color or from one geographic region or one socioeconomic status or for one gender or the other. This is good news for all people. There's a king coming. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. You want to talk about piling on title after title after title. Unto you is born in this day in the city of David. That's Bethlehem. The city of David is where kings come from. That's where David comes from. But the the word Bethlehem, Bet means house. Lechem means bread, the house of bread. The one who would be the bread of life is born in the house of bread. In the city of David, a savior. You know what's interesting is if you go back into Luke chapter one, it called God the savior. God the father is the savior. Now it says Jesus is the savior. Which one is it, Sound City? Yes, amen. You guys are on it. I love it. He's called Jesus. He's called the savior who is Christ. That's the Messiah. Christ is the the Greek word for the Messiah. It means the anointed one, the king, and the Lord, the master, the ruler, the one who's in charge. The Kyrios, piling on these titles. It's, this is the biggest of the biggest of the biggest news. Well, how will we find this child? Well, good news. The angel said, this will be a sign for you. This will be a sign for you. They always give a sign. That's so gracious. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. How are we going to know we found the right one? Well, he's going to be the only one living in an animal trough. And suddenly, I love that word, suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Heavenly host is kind of an old-fashioned sounding translation. The word literally is the armies of heaven. So a massive contingent of angelic divine soldiers show up. Charles Spurgeon says that he thinks it's because they couldn't let the one angel deliver the news. They couldn't hold back any longer. So they just showed up in force. And they started praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Don't you, don't you want to have peace with God? Don't you want to know that God is pleased with you? Wouldn't that be good to hear? It's very good news. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, (laughs) hey, do you think maybe we should go over to Bethlehem and check this thing out? It's like, well, I just love those like no duh verses in the Bible. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. Yeah, no kidding. By the way, do you think that there is like one shepherd who like, pulled the short straw and had to stay behind with the sheep. <laughs> like all the shepherds, like we got to go, but Bob, you stay behind. Like, no, why me? Right. Or do you think they're just like sheep? You're on your own. You do, you do you. And then they all left. I don't know. We don't know. 
questions I have for God someday in, in eternity. My mind works in weird ways. I'm sorry. So they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and they found the baby lying in a manger, just as the angel said. And when they saw it, they, the shepherds, made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The ones who would not have been allowed to give testimony in court are now giving testimony to the birth of the king of Israel. And all who heard it, who's the all who heard it? I'm going to get into that next Sunday night at the eve of the eve service. That's a teaser. Tune in next week. Who wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. These shepherds, one night, were lifted out of their lowly station and placed into the birthing center of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an amazing thing. There is no celebrity that you and I have ever met that is quite a reversal of fortunes like that. Amen? The lowly shepherds, the humble shepherds, the ones who were not esteemed, got invited into the heavenly, the, 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 the one who has ruled over the heavens since before time began. Now, let me talk to you about your lowliness. Can I be honest with you? We are not that impressive. I'm not that impressive. You're not that impressive. We feel low. Now, we have a lot of things to distract us from our feelings of lowliness. And we try to do different things sometimes to help us deal with our feelings of lowliness. I got four. Let me walk through them with you. The four things that I think are the most common ways that we deal with our lowliness that we work hard, we talk big, we put down, or we don't care. We start with work hard. Sometimes we feel low, we feel unimportant, we feel poor, we feel powerless. So we just work hard. I will not be taken advantage of. I will not be looked down upon. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to climb the ladder of success in whatever field that is that you're in. And it's, it's this idea of, I will not be looked down on by anyone. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now there's nothing wrong with hard work. In fact, hard work is commended by God in the scriptures. But what I'm talking about here is a form of self-salvation. I am going to save myself. I am going to change my status and my station in life. You know what? Can I I'll just put it out there? That's kind of the American dream, isn't it? Just work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make a ton of money, and you can have a better life. But it's profoundly anti-gospel because two things. Number one, let's say you make all that money or you climb to the top of the ladder. Guess what? Here today, gone tomorrow. And number two, even if you manage to hold on to that money, people, it's like, it's not hard to find wealthy, successful people who say, I still feel completely empty inside. I remember reading a quote from the actor Jim Carrey who says, I wish that everyone could experience, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing badly, I wish everyone could experience the type of fame and success that I have so they could see just how unsatisfying it is. Tom Brady, the, the, the you know, the, 
I can't even talk about him. Tom Brady, the quarter of the, the, uh, the New England Patriots. I'll get through this. Pray for me. Uh, you know, winning a Super Bowl quarterback and blah, blah, blah. The record books married to a supermodel for crying out loud. And there was an interview with him in the last few years just saying about how like he doesn't even really know what like the purpose of life is. So you can work hard. You can get all the money, all the success, everything. But it doesn't really satisfy. It doesn't really work. Some people, instead of working hard, they just talk big. Talk big, right? That's a lot easier for, like, for someone like me. Let's just talk a big game, right? I'll just boost myself up. I'll boast and I'll brag and I'll, I'll, I'll put myself up on a pedestal with my words, if not my, my deeds. And this, this gets, you know, you, you know somebody who's like really boasting. Sometimes it's shocking, especially if he's like a grown adult man, just like talking this big game about how awesome he is. But my other favorite one is, do you guys know the humble brag? Are you familiar with that term? It's like a, it's like a brag that's kind of like couched in like humility, right? It's like, uh, it's like the lady that, you know, posts up on social media, something like, oh, I just rolled out of bed in my sweatpants. I haven't done my hair, my makeup, and I'm still getting hit on by guys all over the place, right? You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? right? Or like, you know, some guy who's like, yeah, I only got to talk to a president. It's only like 20 seconds got to talk to a president for crying out loud, right? Like those kinds of humble brags where it's like, oh, I'm supposed to sound really humble, but really you're just kind of boosting yourself up. I mean, psh, psh, psh. I mean, former president, anyway, right? If talking about yourself doesn't work, sometimes we talk about others. We put people down. I'm going to make myself feel better by putting you down by, by bullying someone else. And again, we, we, we can see this pretty clearly like in children, the schoolyard bully, right? You are ugly, you're fat, you blah, 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 whatever. But as we get older, we're, we're a little more subtle with it. So when someone talks about someone else, they go, can you believe that they... Next time you hear those words come out of your mouth, can you believe that they... I want you to repent for your wicked heart. It's when someone mentions somebody and they did something or whatever, you kind of have that like that eye roll or the, right? It's the same wicked heart as a six-year-old pointing and saying, you're ugly. It's the exact same. You're trying to make yourself feel better by pointing out someone else's flaws and making yourself higher than them. And the last and final stage is something like, just don't care. I've been picked on. I've been bullied. I've been stepped on. I've been, I've made, made to feel so low. So I just don't care. And the don't care can either be a denial. Like you really still do care, but you're putting on this. I don't care. Or it can actually be just apathy and you've given up and you just don't care. You believe that you are a loser and that's all that there is to your life. You know what I'm talking about? You, you start to wear it as an identity. I listened to a podcast yesterday. You guys remember the, the software program Napster, like the file downloading thing? I didn't know this. The guy who started Napster called it Napster because he was made fun of in the middle school and high school playground for having, quote, nappy hair. And they called him nappy, which became Napster, which was his nickname. And he took it on as a badge of identity and named the program Napster after the bullying name that kids used to call him. There is another option available to us. Instead of work hard, talk big, put down, don't care, we could avail ourselves of the gospel option of go low. The solution that God provides to our lowliness is to just go even lower. To go even lower. This runs 
counterintuitive to each and every single one of our sinful hearts. Do I get an amen from anybody on that? Oh, I don't like this option. But see, the gospel tells us that God is always moving towards the lowly. We read it in our time of singing and worship. The, 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 the verse in Isaiah 57 talks about God who dwells in a high and lofty and holy place. Like there is no one like God. Can you consider the vastness of the oceans? Can you consider the, the expanse of outer space and think how big, how powerful, how majestic is God? And then the prophet Isaiah speaks for God and God says, yeah, but I live with the lowly and the oppressed the one who is contrite in his heart. God's not moving towards those people who are elevating themselves through any means. God says, no, I like to go where the scum are. Nothing shows us this more than Jesus, the very humility of God. Jesus is the humility of God. Jesus Jesus left heaven's glory to take on human flesh. He was laid in a manger. I don't know what your birth story is. For those of you who are moms, you had, you know, gave birth to a child. Oh, it was nothing impressive. For some of you, it's like, yeah, I was, I was born in the backseat of a car or whatever. Like anybody here actually born in a car? My brother delivered one of his children in the backseat of a car. Like he's like manly and like goes out and like hunts and fishes. And I'm like, I want to go to concerts. And he's like, like as if he needed any more ammunition. Like, well, I delivered one of my kids in the backseat of a car too. I'm like, my goodness. But even if that's your story, You didn't lay your baby in a dog food bowl. Think about that. A feeding trough for animals. The king of kings was laid in a manger. John chapter 10 says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus identifies as a shepherd. One of these lowly servants. And he goes lower than the manger, friends. He goes all the way to the lowliness of the cross. A death that wasn't just about the excruciating pain and the torture as much as it even was about the public shame and humiliation. Stripped naked, placed in front of people who walk by and wag their heads and mock and despise those who are being crucified. Jesus went low to the cross for us. And it's not even just the physical reality of the cross because there was a spiritual reality taking place behind the scenes says that God was placing all of the iniquity of the world upon him. That Jesus went to the lowliness of the grave. That he, as the Apostles' Creed said, descended into Hades to experience that type of rejection from God so that you and I would never have to. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, said, Now has the heavenly glory been wedded to earthly poverty And henceforth, let no man dare to despise the poor and needy since the son of the highest is born in a stable, cradled in a manger. How low the king of glory stoops and how gloriously he uplifts the lowly to share his glory. Which reminds us that in Christ, we we meet with God in the lowliness of our own repentance. God, I am a sinner. I've broken your law. I've broken your trust. I've broken your heart. I need your grace. But did Christ stay in the grave, friends? No way. He was raised on the third day. 
And not only was he raised on the third day, but then he, after 40 days, ascended to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the throne. And if we are united to Christ in his death, then guess what? We are lifted up with our savior Jesus as well. Ephesians chapter two, we read this also. It says, you're saved by grace. And because of that, he has raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places. Did you notice the tense? Not future tense, not will be seated with him right now today. Even if your coworkers and your family and your neighbors think that you're the scum of the earth and you're not smart and you're not good looking and you're not rich and you're not powerful, you can lay your head on your pillow tonight with great joy and confidence knowing that you are sitting in the throne room of heaven with Christ Jesus, our Savior. Man, that's good news for us. Because that puts to death a lot of those attempts at lifting ourselves up and raising ourselves up and putting other people down and talking a big game. I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I don't care if I get a phone call or a, from President Bush or a hug from Tim McGraw. <laughs> I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. How cool is that, friends? So, the solution to our lowliness is to go even lower. There's a pastor uh, in Nashville uh, in their church. They have this slogan. I, I, I heard him say it. I've heard him say it a, a couple times. Their slogan for their church, and I, I want to maybe steal it for Sound City. It says, I'm incredibly messed up, my future is incredibly bright. Anyone can get in on this. Well, that's a good slogan. I like that. I'm incredibly messed up. My future is incredibly bright and anyone can get in on this. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. A couple of thoughts. Because of Jesus, because this news was announced to the lowly shepherds, a couple of things. We can know that we're precious to him. The book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but how many of you have one of those relatives? You're like, yeah, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I'm in the same gene pool as that person, right? And if we're being honest, I mean, there no per- there's no perfect per- people in this room, and, and actually we're not even really all that close, Okay. It'd be, it'd be pretty easy for Jesus to say, I don't want to associate with them, the lowly, the weak, the despised. But, but if God announced this news to shepherds, then that means Jesus isn't ashamed to associate with us. Can you imagine being Jesus and like watching some of the things that Christians say on TV? I would be embarrassed of us. But how thankful are we that I'm not, you're not God. He is. We're precious to him. We're loved by him. Because of Jesus, we're precious in the sight. Because of Jesus, we have purpose in our work. This is a whole extra sermon I wish I could preach. But these shepherds went back to shepherding. They left their job. They took their lunch break in the middle of the night. Went and spent some time with the king of the universe. And then you know what they did? It says they returned, praising and glorifying God. For the men in particular, I know this is, it's not exclusive to men, but, but most men, we really tend to find a lot of identity and meaning and purpose from our jobs. 
And I want to tell you, if you are in Christ, there is no occupation too low. Because anything that you do, if it is for Jesus, is now imbued with, with, with purpose and meaning and dignity. I'll read this quote. It's on the website. I'm going to move through it quickly. But there's a, a Lutheran uh, teacher, scholar, Dr. Uh, Edward, uh, Dr. Gene Vaith says this. He says, in our relationship with God, we should not distance ourselves from the vocations of daily life. On the contrary, as Christ himself tells us, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, feeding the hungry, ministering the sick, visiting the prisoner, you did it to me. God is hidden in vocation. Christ is hidden in our neighbor. We love and serve God. I love this. Precisely by loving and serving our neighbors. Not to merit God's favor, but as the spontaneous effect of the gospel. Therefore, a non-Christian and a Christian may work together on an assembly line, both performing exactly the same task. The one may see that work as just a tedious way to earn a living. The other may see that work through the eyes of faith as a way to love and serve his neighbors and may catch a glimpse of the God who hides himself even in factories. In vocation, ordinary life becomes transfigured with the presence of God. So for those of you who are going to your office this week, those of you who go pick up a hammer or a wrench this week, for those of you who go into a garage or into an accounting office or whatever you do, Christ is there. Number three, we see a picture of godly leadership. Um, when Michael and Samantha were up here earlier talking about, you know, the leaders of the church, I'm like, man, somebody's going to think I slipped them a $50 bill to say all that nice stuff. But um, I'll just say this. We, as the leaders of the church, we really strive to live by what is, is shown in 1 Peter 5, where, where Jesus is the chief shepherd and the, the elders and the overseers are called to, to lead and love and serve the church in a way that's representative of Christ's humility. But this is not just for elders of the church. This is for any one of you who has any position of authority or influence in anyone else's life. Maybe you have authority and influence here in the church. Maybe in your place of employment, you're a boss or a manager. Maybe you're a parent. And you have an opportunity and a responsibility to lead and to love and to model this type of Christ-like leadership. And when you fail, you have an opportunity to be the lead repenter. I have four daughters. There's nothing quite as humiliating as having to get down on my knees and look like my six-year-old girl in the eye and say, I'm sorry, daddy sinned. You want to talk about going low. You want to talk about feeling not very strong or very powerful. But God will meet you in those moments. And number four, I'll close with this. We now see a pattern for living. We see a pattern for living. The Apostle Paul writes this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, this is an insult list, by the way, just (laughs) brace yourself. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, I hope you understand there is no test that you're going to have to pass. The only test is can you go low enough to go before God and say, I've messed up. I'm sorry. I need your grace. There are no perfect people in this room. We're not Christians because we're somehow better or smarter or more righteous or more holy or any such nonsense. The only reason that any of us are saved is because we acknowledge that we needed to be saved. And I invite all of you to bring your hearts to go, to go before the Lord in humility. In a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. We'll welcome our younger students class in to join us. But let me pray for us. God, I ask, I ask that you would lower us. God, forgive me of those times when I try to puff myself up by working harder or talking a big game or even putting other people down. God, for each of us, would you help us to embrace that counterintuitive truth that you only meet with those who go low? So I pray that we would do that now as we go to the table. We'd experience that, just that paradox of we are low, we're not wise, we're not strong or powerful by human standards. And yet at the same time, we've been invited to the table of the king. Worship you, Jesus. Amen.